How's it going and welcome to the AZ Sports Report, the show in which I talk about everything going on in the world of Arizona sports over the last week or so. This is being recorded on Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Let's go ahead and get started with probably the biggest piece of news I want to talk about, and that is that on Thursday of last week, the city of Glendale announced they will be ending their lease with the Arizona Coyotes, and this upcoming 2021-22 season will be the final season with the Arizona Coyotes playing at Gila River Arena. Of course, the online hockey community as a whole collectively yelled move this team to Quebec or Houston and even some Kansas cities and Salt Lake cities thrown in there for some reason followed by primarily Canadian content creators chomping at the bits to make their clickbait videos are the coyotes moving will we see the return of the Quebec Nordiques and all that nonsense look I will go ahead and speak from the heart for a couple of seconds here I do genuinely hope Quebec City gets their team back eventually but not at the cost of another fan base's franchise I don't know as a coyotes fan since 2006-2007, I would have assumed I would have been a lot more prepared for the kind of reaction you would have seen out of a story like this. On top of that, the 09 bankruptcy, the amount of times the team has had some sort of troubles in which you heard the rest of the league yell, move this team. Honestly, I should have just expected the reaction. However, especially coming from content creators, some of which I associate myself with, just kind of bugged me a lot more, to be completely honest. And on top of that, most of them had absolutely no idea what they were talking about, talking about how, oh, the Coyotes could possibly play in the ASU stadium. You mean the 5,000 seat stadium that has other uses? Oh, they could just play in Tucson. In what? Like a 4,500 or 5,000 seat convention center? That would not be viable for an NHL franchise. They are completely ignoring the absolute gem that is sitting there off of the freeway, the madhouse on McDowell that sits about 13-5 for a hockey game, and on top of that has hosted multiple championship level hockey teams. The Phoenix Roadrunners, the Phoenix Mustangs, it doesn't really matter that they're minor league teams. That arena has a history with championship hockey, with winning hockey, the Coyotes could always tie into that history. That would be so cool for a year or two while this proposal in Tempe is going down. Oh yeah, that's right, the arena proposal in Tempe that was leaked about a month ago or reported on by AZ Central, however you want to look at it. And I know Craig Morgan came out and said that he had personally heard that the deal was already dead in the water. However, number one, things can change very quickly, and number two, from how it's being reported and talked about, this proposal has not been officially taken to Tempe yet because the Coyotes are attempting to secure private funding because they want to try to privately fund as much of that arena as possible. First and foremost, I completely support that because it's a sports complex. In all fairness, they really should be privately funded almost all of the time, primarily because the billionaire owners of these sports franchises want as much control over that arena as they can possibly get. So go ahead and get your own investors, your own private funding, and your own money, put that on the line, and then you can take all the control you want. If this Tempe Arena deal does fall through, however, the Coyotes will likely end up having to move because there aren't any other viable arenas for more than a short-term span. Pretty much the main arenas that would be available would be Chase Field, which if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, it has been done before, Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum, or the Madhouse on McDowell, the one that I would prefer primarily because of all the history, or finding some sort of way to just work it out with the city of Glendale, sign a two or three year extension while the Tempe Arena is being built and staying in Glendale. And that's it. Realistically, the Coyotes only have three viable options to stay in Arizona because I actually didn't know this until Craig Morgan reported on it. When the Phoenix Suns renovated Footprint Center, they actually took out everything they needed to maintain ice. So in terms of a building with more than 5,000 seats, there are only three options for the Coyotes to stay in Arizona while they are trying to get that arena in Tempe built, assuming that arena gets approval. And there you go. Just like that, in approximately three minutes or so, I gave you all the necessary context and all the different options the Coyotes 
communities have that every single content creator with like 10,000 or more subscribers couldn't bother to put the research time into. Listen, I know research is hard. I also know that it's a lot more profitable to just say Coyote's leaving confirmed. However, if you want to run an organization or a channel or whatever where you cover all 32 NHL teams, you kind of have to actually know what you're talking about. What really bothers me is that these are channels, organizations, whatever, that actually have a large enough reach to where people will actually listen to them and they don't even bother to do 10 minutes of research and all it does is just cause more and more misinformation and the most consistent thing I've heard among all these content creators is quote, I don't see how this team stays in Arizona, close quote. Well in about three minutes, I already told you every single possibility for which this team can stay. Whether they just kind of make up with Glendale, whether they end up going to the Coliseum for a couple years, even if they play a year in Chase Field, they still have options to stay in Arizona and all it would have taken was about 20 minutes of research. But no, it's easier to clickbait when you can just say, oh, trouble in Arizona? Is this team moving? I don't really know what's going to happen here. I don't know if the Coyotes are actually going to be able to make it work. I don't see how it works. It does work if the people that are in the positions to make things happen handle this situation correctly. Things do not currently look good. However, it's also not hopeless. There is still plenty of opportunity for this team to stay here, and I am just getting frustrated at the amount of people that are jumping for joy at this, acting as if the team is already confirmed to move somewhere. They're still in Arizona. There's still more than enough time for them to stay in Arizona. Back off. Coyotes related rant and my disdain for some of the top hockey creators on YouTube out of the way. Let's go ahead and move on to the Arizona Rattlers. So over the weekend, the Rattlers took on the number two seed Frisco Fighters, and it actually was a first place game. And to start off in that first quarter, it was definitely looking like it was going to be a more competitive game. Then the Rattlers kind of started to take control in the second. Things started to even back out in the third and the fourth. But at that point, it was just too late. The Arizona Rattlers take this game by a final score of 55 to 38, improving their record to 12 and 2 on the season and solidifying themselves as the best team in the indoor football league in the year 2021. Looking at the final numbers, Drew Powell went 14 for 19 for 167 yards, three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns on top of that. Monroe, three attempts, 12 rushing yards and 28 receiving yards with a receiving touchdown. Jared Harrington, the hype man himself, five receptions, 57 yards and a rushing touchdown. Jamal Miles, four receptions, 51 yards and a receiving touchdown. And Dylan Winfrey had two interceptions, a tackle for loss and Devanzo and Wyatt each had a sack. Looking ahead to this Sunday, August 29th, 2021, the Rattlers will be hosting the Sioux Falls Storm in the first round of the playoffs, and that will, of course, be a rematch of the 2019 United Bowl in which the Arizona Rattlers fell by about three points, ruining what was otherwise a perfect season. One thing I do like about the matchup that I do think gives the game more stakes is the fact that one of those two teams from the 2019 United Bowl will not be returning this season, and on top of that, other than the Philadelphia soul of the now-defunct Arena Football League, the Sioux Falls Storm and the Arizona Rattlers are the winningest, most storied indoor football league franchises, so it's going to be exciting to watch this matchup regardless. Unfortunately for me, I will be driving back from California at that point, so I will likely miss at least one half of the game, but hopefully I will at least get to watch the second half because I am excited for that matchup. Kickoff is about 3.05, and I think they will also be hosting that on the Indoor Football League YouTube channel, so go ahead and check that one out. Obviously not sponsored, but I want more people watching the Indoor Football League. Next up, let's go ahead and talk a little Phoenix Mercury. So they are now on a five-game winning streak after their win tonight in New York. They'll face off against New York once more in a couple of days. Well, let's go ahead and briefly look back at all five of these games. So it started on August 15th, 2021 in Phoenix against Atlanta, where the Mercury won by a final score of 92-81. to Diggin Smith led the way in scoring, 19 points, three boards, and seven assists. Diana Taurasi, a 
18 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists. Sophie Cunningham, 17 points and 2 rebounds. Brittany Griner, a double-double, not the only double-double on the team that game. 14 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. And Turner, 10 points, 17 boards, 3 assists. Absolutely monster game on the boards there. Then two nights later, on August 17th, Phoenix would host Indiana, and they would win that game by a more narrow margin, 84-80, to but they still got the win, so that's all that matters. Brittany Griner, 25.7 boards, 2 assists. Diana Tarazi, 22.7 boards, 7 assists. And finally, Brianna Taylor, 10 points, 11 rebounds, a couple of assists. That's back-to-back double-doubles for Brianna Turner. Then on August 19th, to close out that homestand, they would host the Washington Mystics and win that one by a score of 77-64. Brittany Griner, a monster 30-point effort, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, massive double-double there. And Skylar Diggins-Smith with 17 points, 2 boards, and 4 assists. For a homestand, 3 consecutive wins, that'll definitely get the job done. Moving on to the last couple of games, the Phoenix Mercury on the road on August 21st at Atlanta. They won that game by a final score of 84-69, with Skylar Diggins-Smith leading the way, 25 points, 6 boards, 7 assists. Diana Tarazi, 18 points, 10 rebounds, a double-double for her, with 4 assists. Brianna Turner, 15 points, 10 boards, and an assist, so that's another double-double. And finally, Brittany Griner, 13 points, 12 boards, 5 assists. That is 3 double-doubles for the Phoenix Mercury all in the same night, and that's not even going to end up being the most impressive game I want to talk about. I want to talk about tonight's game that just ended about an hour or so ago, August 25th, 2021, at New York. The Phoenix Mercury won by a final score of 106-79. to Diggin Smith, 27 points, 3 boards, 5 assists, and a steal. Brittany Griner, 26 points, 9 boards, 6 assists, and a block. And Diana Tarazi, 21 points, 4 boards, 9 assists. The big three alone had 74 points and were just 5 points shy of defeating the entire New York Liberty team with just 3 players. The Phoenix Mercury are playing phenomenal over the last 5 games and this is definitely the best time to start getting hot is close to the playoffs because the Las Vegas Aces just clinched their playoff spot. The third team in the league so far to do so and to my knowledge the first Western Conference team. Like I said earlier, the Phoenix Mercury play the New York Liberty again in a couple of days, I think on the 27th, so go Merc and let's make it 6. And the last team I want to talk about today is the Arizona Diamondbacks, so let's go ahead and start off with Caleb Smith, one of their relief pitchers, who got ejected in a game about a week or so ago, and it just came down from the MLB about 48 hours ago, that he will serve a 10 game ban for a foreign substance being detected on his glove. Smith is currently appealing the ban, however I really don't think it's going to be overturned because of just how long the MLB was looking at that glove before they handed down that decision. Obviously, I'll keep y'all updated on the channel if his appeal does go through successfully. However, I really wouldn't expect an update on that because I don't think they're going to overturn it. Looking at the team on the field, however, over the last week and a half or so, the team has actually gone 6-5. and five. They're winning a little bit more. They're looking better. Some of the younger guys are looking better. So let's go ahead and just briefly go over each of these games. Starting on August 14th versus San Diego, they won 7 to nothing with Tyler Gilbert in his first ever MLB start, throwing a no-hitter, 9 innings, 3 walks, 5 strikeouts, and Josh Van Meter went 3 for 4 with 2 singles, a double, an RBI, and a run. Overall, it's a very good game for the Diamondbacks. Gilbert gets his first win on the season, a 1-1 one one record. Going on to the next game on the 15th against San Diego, they would drop this one 8-2. to two. So, a gallon, 5 innings pitched, 8 hits, 4 earned, 3 walks, 5 strikeouts. So, definitely better than he's kind of played in the last handful of starts. However, he still gets the loss, a 1-7 record on the year, and Josh Rojas 3 for 4, a single, a double, a home run, an RBI and a run. He was just shy of the cycle, so there was still something good to take out of that game. Next up, hosting Philadelphia on the 17th, they win that game by a score of 3-2, to two, and Aguilar gets his 
his first win on the season. One and one is his record. He had one and a third innings pitch with a strikeout later on in the game. Josh Van Meter, two for three, a double, a home run, two RBIs. And Josh Rojas, back-to-back good performances. Three for four, two singles, a double, and an RBI. Moving on to the 18th against Philadelphia once more at Chase Field. They win that game by a score of four to two. Christian Walker, two for three, a single, a double, an RBI, and a run. Castellanos, five and a third innings pitch, three hits, an earned run, two walks, and a strikeout. He gets his first win of the year. One and one record so far in the season. On the 19th, to close out the series at home against Philly, they won that one by a score of six to two, sweeping the Phillies. I think that's their second series sweep in the last month or so. They're actually, like I said, they're playing better overall. Walker, two for four, a single, a double, an RBI, and a run. Madison Bumgardner, eight innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, a walk, and five strikeouts. He improves his record to seven and seven on the season. Mad Bum has honestly been playing much better, especially in the second half of the season. Let's be honest here. Heading into Colorado on the 20th, they would lose this game by a score of 9-4. Gilbert, his second MLB start, five innings pitched, nine hits, four earned, a walk, and two strikeouts. He wouldn't get the loss, however. It'd be DeGeis, 2-2 two two record on the season. Cattell Marte, 2-4 with a double, a home run, and an RBI. And Josh Rojas, 2-5 with two singles and two RBI. Still in Colorado on the 21st, they would lose that game by a score of 5-2. Zach Gallen pitching seven innings, three hits, a walk, and nine strikeouts. No earned runs. No runs allowed for him. Gallen pitched very well in that game. However, he wouldn't end up getting the loss. It would be Wendelkin, 2-2 two two record on the year. Tell Marte, 3-4 for four with two singles and a double, so at least Cattell's playing very well. Cattell's still batting over 300. Seriously, the Diamondbacks' best player. Then to close out the series in the 22nd, they would win that game by a score of 8-4. Dalton Varsho, 3-4, for four, a double, a triple, a home run, four RBIs in a run. He was just one shy of the cycle. And Widener, five innings pitched, a hit, an earned run, five walks, and five strikeouts. He actually has a positive record right now, 2-1 and one on the season, so good for him. Then we head into a series against the Pittsburgh Pirates in Pittsburgh from the 23rd to about 10 minutes ago when the most recent game ended. So the first game of the 23rd, D-backs lose that one by a final score of 6-5. to five. Walker, 1-4 for four with a single and 3 RBIs. And Mejia, 5 innings pitched, 6 hits, 2 earned, 2 walks, and 7 strikeouts. Ramirez actually gets the loss in that one, 0-1 record. On the 24th, they lose again by a score of 4-2. Cattell Marte, 1-1 for one with a home run and 2 RBIs. He was actually a pinch hitter late in the game. And Mad Bum, 6 innings pitched, 6 hits, 4 earned, 3 walks, 5 strikeouts. Maybe not his best game, but it was still solid overall. He does get the loss, however, 7-8 on the season. And then finally today, like I said, the game just ended about 10-15 minutes ago as I'm recording. The D-backs win by a score of 5-2, with David Peralta leading the way, 3-4, for four, 2 singles, a double, and 3 RBI, with Gilbert, his 3rd MLB start, 5 innings pitched, 3 hits, 2 earned, 3 walks, and 4 strikeouts. DeGeis once again gets the win, however, 3-2 and two record on the year, and Clippard records his 5th save of the season. To kind of TLDR my D-backs coverage for this week, Dimebacks playing overall better, guys like Dalton Varsho, Josh Rojas, pretty good major league level players. The future's looking pretty good. This season cannot be over soon enough. One last thing I want to briefly touch on, so as I am recording, the Phoenix Rising FC are taking on the Oakland Roots. I do believe that one is in the Bay Area. Currently, right now, it is one to nothing Oakland, so I just wanted to give a little update there. I really want to give more Rising coverage, so I'm going to have to find some way to squeeze it into the schedule, but anyway, go Rising. It's only a one-goal differential. And that's going to do it for the AZ Sports Report this week. I do apologize. It was delayed. Things do come up, and then on top of that, sometimes you just feel lazy. But that was then. This is now. The AZ Sports Report is officially up, and I will see y'all next week.